Welcome to Tech Law Chat, our series of coffee break podcasts from Four Pump Court. I'm Ian Munro. And I'm Matthew Levy. Today's topic is cryptocurrency fraud, an increasingly important real-world risk given the growing popularity of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Matthew, what's our scenario? Well, my client Alice recently purchased a substantial quantity of Bitcoin as a hedge against hyperinflationary risk that she thinks is on the horizon. As she saw it, Bitcoin offered her two key characteristics of gold, a finite supply and good traceability, with the convenience of a modern digital asset class. Sorry, what do you mean by good traceability here? Well, Alice likes the security that comes with being able to point to a specific gold bar and say, that one's mine. And she saw Bitcoin as offering something equivalent. So anyway, yesterday morning, Alice received an email and it was advertising an initial coin offering relating to the launch of a cryptocurrency fund that rather piqued her interest. Okay, so essentially this is a fundraising activity for a company that's launching a new currency. It's like an initial public offering or IPO. And Alice here is being asked to invest. Exactly right. The website associated with the email and the offering looked respectable and professional. And the business model seemed sound, as, as I say, she was rather interested in it. Okay. You say that, but I feel like something's going to go horribly wrong here. Well, yes. Although it wasn't obvious who or what was behind the fund, that didn't worry Alice's son Julie at the time, because she didn't consider it unusual in this space. So she decided to invest, and by lunchtime, she'd already paid over 50 Bitcoin to the fund, which is about £450,000 at today's rates. And she waited for her token allocation to be confirmed. But of course, by the evening, there had been no token allocation confirmation, and in fact, she'd heard nothing at all. Okay, so it's a scam. Well, she went back online, and she found the website she was looking at only earlier the same day had vanished, and closer investigation of the advert she received by email showed that the whole thing was indeed a scam. Okay, well, please tell me she's acting quickly now. To her credit, she is. Uh, Alice uh, very, very quickly uh, engaged a tracing specialist to find out what had happened to her Bitcoin, and they reported four hours ago. Any good news? Some of the news is good. So of the 50 Bitcoin, 10 are still sitting exactly where Alice transferred them, to an account, or to be more accurate about this, to a public address on a well-known exchange. 25 have been transferred on from there through a number of intermediate transactions to a collection of different accounts, but on the very same exchange, so we can still see where they are. The news is less good with the other 15. They've been through a series of scrambling transactions, and insofar as the tracing team has been able to tell so far, they're lying fragmented across hundreds of different public addresses, most of which aren't associated with any known exchange, but work is still going on in that regard. Okay, so by scrambling transactions, I think you mean that the fraudster has used some kind of tumbler or mixer, a bit of crypto technology, designed to make it difficult to follow transactions on a blockchain. Exactly right. Uh, Anyway, Alice is obviously feeling somewhat sheepish about all of this, but also not a little bit angry, and she wants to try and get her Bitcoin back. Yeah, well, fair enough. The first step, obviously, must be to stop matters getting worse. And there, Alice needs an injunction. She needs to prevent further transactions with those Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin are treated as property in English law. So in principle, it should be possible to seek a proprietary injunction and get the court to stop further dealing with them. 
Well, I'm glad you suggested that because that's precisely what we've done. Okay, good. And then in terms of targets, Alice doesn't know exactly who's behind this, does she? So she's going to be looking at an injunction against persons unknown. But that's that's going to be all right because the court has no difficulty doing that in this sort of situation. Now, another complication, she'll need to get an order for alternative service. And that means you don't need to serve using the normal methods prescribed by the court rules. The obvious order here, I guess, would be to ask for service by means of the email to the email address that sent that fraudulent email. Exactly right. So Alice now has her injunction. It's been served on that email address. But of course, we can't expect the fraudsters to be too troubled by a court injunction. Of course. So presumably you've got somewhere else to serve. Uh, Yeah, of course. Uh, We served also on the exchange and they have frozen all the relevant addresses. Uh, So that's for the 35 Bitcoin that we know are still there. Excellent. And basically, if you breach a court order, you're going to be held in contempt of court, risk imprisonment, fines, assets being seized. So hopefully that means at least the exchange is going to comply. Yes, there's no real question there. It's a reputable exchange. They'll definitely comply. And that means that Alice does have a decent shot at recovering 35 of the Bitcoin, the 35 still at that exchange. As for the 15 that have left the exchange already and been through the tumblers and mixers, at the moment there's no obvious action she can take. Yes, but presumably that may change depending on what her forensic team can glean about those fraudsters from the information obtained from the exchange. That's true. And of course, we have sought information from the exchange as part of the court order. That hasn't arrived yet, but it will do shortly. Okay, and I'm assuming that this order you sought is going to have been on an urgent interim basis without giving the fraudsters notice of what you're doing. (laughs) Yes. So, okay, that means you've got a return date for another hearing before the court. We have. That's uh, coming up in a couple of days' time. Uh, But I don't expect the fraudsters to turn up to contest it. No, that seems pretty unlikely. Okay, so you've got that interim injunction, and it's unlikely to be shaken away by the fraudsters. Now, presumably, Alice is going to bring a claim in deceit and argue that the fraudster is holding her Bitcoin on a constructive trust. Yes, and we can be pretty confident that will work, at least in relation to the 10 Bitcoin still sitting in the exchange account to which Alice made a transfer. Either that account is going to be controlled by the fraudster, or it's going to be controlled by the fraudster's accomplice, so perhaps a knowing receipt claim. I'm a little more apprehensive about the 25 Bitcoin that have been moved to other accounts on the exchange, because until we get further disclosure from the exchange, we don't actually know whether those accounts belong to the fraudster or to third parties. And insofar as they belong to third parties, we don't know the nature of the transactions which led to them being there. It may be, for example, that the fraudster actually sold on the Bitcoin. Okay, so in the normal way of things, if someone defrauds you of property and then passes it to a third party, you can generally still recover it. The fraudster never owned it, and as the old maxim goes, you can't give what you don't have. So the third party hasn't got good title. Okay, but that's not going to work here, is it? No, it's not. And that is because the rule you've just described is the rule that applies to tangible property. It would work with gold bars, but not with intangibles like Bitcoin. So if I give you my Bitcoin, let's think of what's actually happening. No property is actually moving anywhere. What's really happening is that there's an entry recorded in the blockchain 
showing that my public address now has one Bitcoin less spending power associated with it, and yours has one more Bitcoin associated with it. And so in no tangible sense is anything moving. Really, a Bitcoin in this context is far closer conceptually to a bank account than it is to a gold bar. Okay, well, that's a good point. And that means, of course, that if 25 of Alice's Bitcoin are in the hands of third parties, she can only get them back by establishing that those third parties are somehow implicated in the fraud. She needs to prove something like knowing receipt, that the account holder knew that the Bitcoin had been stolen. It's just not going to be good enough for Alice to say, those Bitcoin are mine. Well, quite. It's also worth noting that although the tracing specialists here have been able to follow the chain of transactions to see where Alice's Bitcoin ended up, even getting that far is not always going to be possible. If the fraudster had mixed Alice's Bitcoin with a larger fund at a single public address and then transferred that larger fund as a whole to a third party, it would no longer be possible to distinguish Alice's Bitcoin from the rest. That's just a function of the, the way the technical underpinnings work. And in legal terms, you would be having to trace into mixed funds. We would. Okay, let's assume that Alice can establish all of the accounts on the exchange holding her Bitcoin are controlled by fraudsters or their accomplices. And she gets a declaration that they're held on constructive trust and an injunction requiring their return to her. Yeah. Let's also assume that the exchange has the know your customer information and allows the fraudster to be identified. Even then, Alice still has got a problem with those Bitcoin that aren't on the exchange if the fraudsters don't play ball. Yes, she does. And that's because only the fraudster can transfer those Bitcoin back to Alice. Because only the fraudster has the necessary private keys, the secret string of numbers needed to transact with the fraudster's public addresses. Yes, so... In practice, Alice is unlikely ever to get them back. Yes. So, in short, however it turns out, Alice is not going to get all of her Bitcoin back. With luck, she'll get some of them back, maybe even the majority. But Alice will have learned a few things along the way. 1. Although Bitcoin are property, they're not tangible property, and they don't behave like tangible property. Importantly, Stolen Bitcoin can't be recovered from a third party without establishing wrongdoing on the part of that third party. So, in that sense, Alice was quite wrong to treat her Bitcoin as though they were gold bars. They behave very differently in law. 2. The blockchain allows Bitcoin transactions to be traced in the sense that the history of transactions that led to a particular public address having a particular number of Bitcoin can be seen. But just like a bank account, Bitcoin suffers from the mixed funds problem. If there's consolidation of Bitcoin from different sources, identifying what's happened to Bitcoin from a particular source isn't always easy, and it can be impossible. 3. Even where Bitcoin can be traced and wrongdoing can be established, getting a practical remedy can be hard. That's because the holder of the private key associated with the Bitcoin public address is the only person who can transfer the Bitcoin back. So a court order is helpful, but it will only get you so far. Fourth and finally, Alice will have learnt that cyber fraud is becoming more and more sophisticated. It's easy even for intelligent people like her to be tricked, and so before choosing to participate in the sort of investment that Alice thought she was participating in, very thorough due diligence is needed. And before transferring funds, whether they be uh, real funds or whether they be crypto funds, 
an escrow service is often a sensible precaution. Thank you for listening to us chat about Bitcoin fraud. For references and citations, visit us at techlaw.chat. And if you feel so inclined, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is provided for the purposes of general education and entertainment only and does not constitute legal advice. The presenters disclaim all liability for the consequences of reliance being placed on what they have said. The value of investments can go down as well as up and you may never recover the time devoted to listening to this podcast.